Good afternoon, beautiful people. I'm keeping all my content free of charge so there's complete transparency so everyone can get the benefit of all the information. This is a completely independent podcast, but any monetary support is greatly appreciated. Click the support this podcast link at the end of the episode description for more details. Now back to the show. I want to thank all the listeners and guests that makes this show possible. Please subscribe to us and rate whenever you can. Tell your family, friends, and colleagues about us. Please go back and watch our episode one with Martine Harapetian Wilson, Constance Avery, Ben Sedigatfar, Margaret Kimberly, Jay Carrico, and now Spike Cohen. Enjoy the show. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to Kiko's Free Thinkers Forum. I have another delightful guest in front of us tonight. Uh, his name is Spike Cohen. He's a co-owner and podcaster of Muddied Waters Media, a political ad- activist and entrepreneur. Cohen was the Libertarian Party's candidate for vice president in the 2020 presidential election. Um, he's agreed to talk to us today graciously with his time. Uh, prior to entering the public eye, he ran a successful web design company. He hails from Baltimore, Maryland but currently lives in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Kiko. Thanks for having me on, man. I'm looking forward to it. I am too. And um, we didn't have a lot of time to sort of talk beforehand, but I'm just, um, since I've never met you before personally, I'm getting to talk to you now. Can you kind of tell me a little bit about um, where you're from? You grew up in Baltimore and sort of your mm-hmm. journey um, past, I guess, college. Sure. Well, I didn't go to college, so uh, we can skip that journey. <laughs> so my, my, my. Uh, so, uh, here, so yeah, I was born in Baltimore, but we moved to Myrtle Beach when I was a kid. My story is pretty simple. I, uh, as a teenager, I used to work during the summers. Uh, I learned uh, a lot there. I learned uh, the the value of money. I learned the value of working hard and working smart. I learned the value of networking. Uh, I was a 13-year-old busboy getting tipped out because the waiters and waitresses liked me. And I learned that, you know, you can uh, you can network and make even more money. Uh, but the biggest thing I learned was I don't want to work for anyone else because I was 13, 14 years old. I was fine washing dishes as a kid, mm-hmm. but I would see people two and three times my age doing the same thing as me making maybe an extra 50 cents or a dollar an hour. And I thought, nah, that's definitely not for me. And so at the uh, right before my 17th birthday, I uh, started a web design company and uh, ended up uh, kind of growing that into a successful company, got involved in some other startups over the years as well. Uh, And then in 2014, I woke up and the right side of my body was going numb. Uh, fast forward two years later, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and, uh, that kind of led me on a journey of realizing I had reached a point where I had made enough money that I didn't need to work anymore. And I needed to start thinking about what I was going to do now that I had grown up. Uh, Mm -hmm. I was now in my thirties. Uh, I was, uh, I was making money, but it was a purposeless life, I, I would say. And uh, other than, you know, my, my family and, and things like that, I wasn't serving a greater purpose. Mm-hmm. And I realized I was at the point where now I could start thinking about that. And uh, so that led me into uh, political uh, activism, libertarian activism. Uh, that I'm giving the, the very short version of a much longer story. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Uh, I decided in 2019 to run for the VP nomination for 2020. Uh, did not expect to get it. I just really wanted to talk to them about what I, as an entrepreneur and business owner, was seeing as what I thought were some 
pretty glaring uh, uh, issues to be fixed with strategy and messaging and tactics and so forth. I guess I made a good sell of my idea because they ended <laughs> up just picking me for the VP nomination. And the rest is history, man. I've been out here uh, doing political activism across the country, just launched my organization, You Were the Power. And that's, yeah, that's, we're pretty much caught up to 2022 now. Okay, before I get into um, the You Are the Power, um, sort of what that's about, what made you so surprised by that selection by the Libertarian Party? Well, just that uh, I was a relative unknown. Like people okay. didn't really know who I was. There were some people who knew who I was in the party, but mm -hmm. there were much bigger figures who mm -hmm. were running for that nomination or who were running for the presidential nomination and were expected if they didn't win that to drop back because our, our system's different. We don't have our we don't pick our uh, presidential candidate who then picks the VP candidate. That's what Correct. Republicans and Democrats. That's what most parties do. Our party does it the old school way, the way everyone used to do it. We pick our presidential nominee, and then the next day we pick the vice presidential nominee. So I actually mm. ran for that nomination. I expected that a much bigger, much more well-known uh, name in the party, uh, either that was running for the VP nomination or that was running for the presidential nomination and then would drop back for VP if they didn't win that, would end up getting it. So I just expected i would say in the last couple of weeks we my team started doing like unofficial whip counts and stuff like that and realized i was probably going to get it but up until that i i was i i just you picture someone that has never run for anything before he's mm -hmm. running to be the vice presidential candidate of the third largest political party in the country That's and he's he's doing pretty well you know he's you, you know you're doing okay but then you know at some point you think okay something's going to give right like at some point they're going to pick the Somebody other guy else. or the mm -hmm. other person someone else and then you know a big a big name would come in and i'd go okay that's it that, that they're going to pick this nope <laughs> and then they, they something would happen with them where it looked like they weren't going to get it and i go okay well okay but this guy's going to get it and it, it was all the way to that last day where i'm like uh john uh, a guy named john mons who's one of my heroes in the party he had been running for the presidential nomination he mm -hmm. didn't get it so he dropped back to VP and I thought, okay, so this will be it. I will, I will lose to John Mons, the first libertarian to ever get a million votes. And it was in a statewide race. This is an incredible, you know, what a great, and I ended up winning and I still won. So yes, I was, I apparently did a good job selling my idea because I, but I didn't, yeah, I didn't, I didn't expect it just because I was a relative unknown, honestly. Well, that's exciting because when I got first attracted to you, when I saw you're my age. I mean, you're actually, we're just a week apart in age. I just turned oh, wow. 40 July the 8th. Oh, and wow. I know yeah, you yeah, recently yeah, turned yeah. 40. And yeah, it's like 10 days apart. Yeah. I wish we had more representation like that, you know, right now running shit, you know, instead of the, what yeah. this, what we have right now, this circus that tends to go back and forth between the rotating letters, which I, if people follow this podcast, they know that I don't differentiate between the Democrats or Republicans, the Republicans. Yeah. And so um, it's one of those things where I like to try to get some fresh air, like even from, you know, ideological differences, I still want to see, is there anything outside of this duopoly, whatever it is. Yeah. And yeah. I've been reading more about libertarianism. It wasn't something that initially attracted me over the years because I was always skeptical. I was always taught things. There was like an old white man's club, yeah. but the things that I followed recently completely contradict those notions. And so I've warmed up more and more to that idea. So what is the, you are the power. What is that about? Is that something you created? 
Yeah. So you are the power is it's technically nonpartisan. We work with the Libertarian Party. We work with Democrats, Republicans, people that aren't even politically affiliated one way or another. But basically, the long and short of what you are the power is uh, there are in possibly in your city, in your county, in cities and counties across the country. There are hot button issues where the people there are fed up with something that their local government, you know, city council, county board, school board, whatever, either is doing wrong isn't doing or is doing and they don't want them to do and it, there's almost a near consensus on this like everyone is upset about this but and there's a consensus around what needs to be done but they don't know how to organize effectively to be able to stop it from happening and they feel powerless to be able to do anything about it that's where we step in so what you mm. are the power is we have membership in all 50 states we already have over 2,000 members across the country in less than uh it was just about two-ish months ago, that just over two months ago that we launched. Uh, and we have thousands of members across the country. They find these hot button issues. Sometimes they're in their own city. Uh, mm -hmm. Sometimes they're in their own town. And uh, what we do is we begin organizing immediately around that issue. Uh, we organize online. Uh, we do we we do what I call social media swarming. Basically, we put that local government on notice on their Facebook page, their Twitter, their whatever other social media they have. That draws even more attention. It gets the local media's attention. Uh, our on the ground uh, organizers start organizing uh, family friendly rallies that people can come to to try to call for whatever the thing is we're trying to get done there. We encourage people to flood their phone lines and their emails. So and then we show up to or membership and the the activists show up to the city council or school board or whatever it is show up to their meetings mm -hmm. and during the public comment which they're required to have tell them what they've already been hearing on social media on their voicemail on their email and now they're hearing it in person and so basically we we apply a full court press old school human organization full court press on these local governments that aren't used to this kind of pressure and get mm. them to do the right thing in doing so we expose people to libertarian ideas. And when I say libertarian, I don't mean the party. I mean the philosophy of libertarianism. Mm -hmm. We expose them to the idea that the problems that they're facing are because there's too much power in the hands of too few people. And that when we take that power and put it back in their hands, that's when good things can begin to happen. And mm -hmm. we solve people's pro We help people solve their problems right now. We help grow the movement as a result of it. We show people just how much power they do have. And we build a movement from that. And that's, that's the, that is the, the uh, sort of the the uh, the elevator pitch of what you or the power does, and so how do you apply that pressure locally? Like what what tends to work out? Um, if you can share that information, what does work out um, as far as pushing back against the local political machines? Uh, so the way it so we so far we've had a seventy percent success rate. Okay, um, which has been what I mean, we were hoping to get 50 50. And mm -hmm. that was probably unrealistic. We've so far had a 70% success rate. Uh, and in fact, I'd say I don't know an exact percentage, I should probably find out but I'd guess maybe a quarter of the time, we never even have to show up in person, just us, you know, putting them on notice online is enough for them to back off. Uh, an example of that was uh, in a place called Bourbon, Indiana, there was mm. a lady who uh, her house had burned down, and her insurance company while they were going through, because it takes a while to even start the process of building a house after, you know, they have to do the damages and figure out the cost and everything else. They gave her a temporary RV to live in on her property while her home was being built. The zoning board started fining her every day and threatened to uh, put her in jail if she continued having the RV on her property because they said that she was only allowed one residence on the property. Mm. Even though the first residence was burned down to the very foundation, they were doing that. 
So we found out about it. We basically, you know, went online and started notifying everyone what we were that we were going to call for them to back off and let her have her RV. And before we even had to organize anything in person, they backed off and let her uh, have the RV there. Also, because we raised so much awareness around it, people started uh, organizing to bring uh, her and her family prepared meals because it's hard to prepare meals in an RV, right? So mm -hmm. people were bringing her meals, bringing her baked goods, uh, bringing her anything that she needed for help. Uh, it actually spurred the insurance company to move faster. And uh, so it worked out in, the, in everyone's favor. Also, the additional attention led a judge to realize that the zoning board had met illegally and so that's now being investigated. So that was all as a result of maybe, I don't know, a, a two or three days of our on the ground activists notifying us of what was happening and us organizing people and raising awareness online. Uh, we've had other things where we have to get a lot more involved. Um, but, you know, the long story is long story short is we stay involved until the until we, we accomplish our goal. And so, so far, almost three quarter success rate. So you all are not technically a lobby. Uh, well, we know because we don't so far, we haven't done anything at the state or federal level. And that's okay. usually when it's considered lobbying. We are, I guess we're lobbying in the old school First Amendment way of, uh, of you know, First Amendment protected citizens getting together and redressing their grievances against. That's government. what it sounds like. Very like, yeah. I like that. The citizens like coming together. It yeah. sounds very like grassroots. A, that's awesome. It is a very, very grassroots thing. And it's so inspiring to to do. I mean, it, it, it's an often we're showing up on some very, very like terrible things that have happened. But at the same time, it's incredible how people will get together and we'll see church groups coming out. We will see, you know, soccer moms coming out. We'll see the local head of the Democrat party and the local head of the Republican party and local libertarian activists are almost always there. Uh, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have people that heard about it on Facebook and they bring their family to, to uh, we've had a lot of uh, homeschooling families that will bring their kids to our events and that mm -hmm. becomes part of their education on like how, you know, how, you know, meeting with your local government works and things like that. And it's just incredible to watch it. It's, it is, it is pure. It is like the most, uh, the, the most, uh, I guess, grassroots level of civic activism. And uh, so, I mean, it's, it's, I guess, technically lobbying to the extent that it is people lobbying their local government, but right. it's not considered like a right. It's not like the DC activity. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, <laughs> it's, not, it's, not D, it's not DC or even state capital. Now we may at some point get to a point where we start lobbying at the state level, but right now we're satisfied fight, focusing hyper local, getting things done at the local level. If that works its way up to the state and federal level, so be it. But what I want to do right now, man, is empower people who don't realize the power they have. They think that all they can do is show up every year or two years or whatever it is in their area and vote for the same choices. You know, mm -hmm. you're talking about the duopoly. Imagine you're you're in a small town. It's just the same people running every time. Someone can run themselves, but you know, no one they they, they don't have the, the whatever tiny machine is running things there behind them. Here's the other part of that. Now that we've launched, now that we're officially in action. Uh, and now that we're, you know, raising funds, getting a full-time staff and all of that, uh, what's happening now is that 30% of the time that we, that they don't go do the right thing. Now we have built a multi-partisan base of support and mm -hmm. a winning platform for some of those activists to run for those offices themselves. They've right. already got everything they need they already to have take the... over that city council. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's, that's the next step. We haven't gotten there yet. We're just now getting started on that. But uh, that's the next step. I want to get as close to 100% success rate as we can. That's very smart. I don't think we have enough of this for a reason. There's not enough of this grassroots organizing on the political level because 
we know the, the situation here tends to be um, a super capitalistic money machine. The higher you go up, it's just all the lobbying that goes behind Cronyism. and the special yeah. interest. Yeah. Absolutely crazy yeah. stuff going on behind yeah. closed doors. Um, I wanted to talk before we get into this sort of um, your individual philosophies, because they've made different from the public platform of libertarianism. Did the libertarian party start in the 70s? Yeah, so the libertarian uh, party proper mm -hmm. started in 1971. And it had been a up until that point, it had been a kind of a club or a group of people who had gotten frustrated with Republicans and Democrats. You know, this was during uh, Jim Crow that, you know, in the 50s and 60s, Jim Crow, the Vietnam War, mm -hmm. uh, the, you know, how long it took to get any kind of civil rights. And the, the final straw, oddly enough, and it, it'll sound weird until I explain it. But the final straw for these people was when uh, Richard Nixon took uh, the U.S. off the gold standard by ending Bretton Woods. That was the final straw. And I know that sounds ridiculous, like the Vietnam War, the, the civil rights movement, all, mm. all of that. It was taking us off the gold standard. But if you look after 1971 is when you start seeing this decoupling that has been getting worse and worse over time, where the middle class and the upper class just completely separate. The mm -hmm. middle class starts slowly adjusted for inflation, starts slowly losing their wealth over time, while the upper classes just go through the roof. Uh, you start seeing uh, a massive increase in inflation. You start seeing a massive uh, uh, up and down to the boom bust cycle, which you know, anytime it goes up in a big boom and then comes down, that's millions of people's lives and livelihoods mm -hmm. being destroyed every time. All of that is because the money, and this is what libertarians understood in, in 1971 when it happened. Happen. Once the money is no longer tied to an actual store of value, once the government can decide at will through the Federal Reserve what money is worth or not worth, mm -hmm. once they can just print out trillions of notes, uh, then what happens is they can just flood the market with money, hand that money off to the cronies that put them in office and hand some of it to themselves. You have more money chasing the same number of goods and services, which mm -hmm. means that the price of everything goes up mm -hmm. and it doesn't bother them because they just got all that free money. We get stuck with the bill for it and with the cost increase. It's the most mm -hmm. insidious tax of all is inflation. And it happens as a result of that. They knew all of that was going to happen. The other thing that happens when you can uh, separate money from actual value is the government doesn't have to convince us that something's a good idea because if they want to go to, for example, be at war perpetually for the last 40 some odd years, like they've been <laughs> yeah. in the past, they used to have to tax us for it. And we'd mm. say at some point, we'd say, you know what, I don't like paying this war tax anymore. But if they can just print out endless notes and hand it to themselves and stick us with the bill for it, we pay it off 10, 20 years later with interest, don't even know what we're paying the, the wow. bill off for. It lets them, it allows the war machine, it allows the war on drugs, it allows the, the school to prison pipeline and the prison industrial complex. Everything mm -hmm. that we have set up right now exists because the actual cost is something that's laid out later. It's like a layaway plan where we get the, the abuse now and then we pay for the cost of it later. None mm -hmm. of that would be able to make it if money was tied to value. So libertarians knew all of this was going to happen. And so that was the final straw. So they started the Libertarian Party in 1971. It was a protest movement. They would come in like 12th place if they ran for president. Some of mm -hmm. our first candidates got thousands of votes like it was they knew they weren't going to win. Right. But it was it was just weird. It was just them saying 
nothing, no other party represents us. The, the Republicans and Democrats don't represent us. Uh, these smaller parties at the time, none of them represent us. We need a party that is based on our libertarian ideas of non-aggression, voluntary interaction, and 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 uh, you know um, uh, uh, anti-authoritarianism. That's that's what we're about. And in the last fifty years, we went from being a protest that was written on the, the original platform was written on a napkin. I mean, that's how <laughs> that's how like. The first Libertarian Party meeting was held in this guy's uh, living room in uh, uh, somewhere in uh, Vail, Colorado. It's like seven <laughs> people. And they're sitting there like, oh, we formed the Libertarian Party and we're sick of all that. Like, I mean, that's that's the fact. And in 50 years, we went from that to now we are really the only third party. Mm -hmm. uh, there is no other party besides the Republicans and Democrats that gets on all 50 state ballots or even 30 yep. of them. Uh, mm -hmm. There is no other party that's getting even... 250,000 votes, much less, you know, millions of votes at the presidential level. We're way behind the Republicans and Democrats, but then there's almost as much space between us and anyone else. So we are now at this point, we are the third party. We're, we're in a tier all to ourselves. I wish, and I'm not going to throw any parties under the bus, but I wish other political parties, I just put it that way. I wish that they would sort of have a better organizational approach an ideological sort of an angle, but I think the issue with these, um, because I do identify, I'm a leftist, like through and through, not a, not this fake blue Democrat stuff, but the the issue I see with some leftist parties that are third parties is that they um, almost stray away from the principles that kind of got them there in the first place. And I feel like a lot of the libertarians that I talk to are pretty consistent in what exactly their principles are. And I think a lot of the people who do identify on the left spectrum, they argue so much about certain things. And it's like, but at the end of the day, it's like, what are your philosophies? Like, what is your bread and butter? And yeah. what I see consistently from libertarians is like um, anti-war, um, very much um, economically sound when it comes to this gold standard and this fiat currency mess and just yeah. just printing the money off like crazy. Um, and maybe for you personally, I've noticed you advocate for it more than a lot of other libertarians. You are very outspoken against the police state. Like I've followed you for a while and just your social yeah. media presence about just covering these issues. What What is the Gastonia, North Carolina situation with Gastonia, the homeless yeah. veteran? Yeah. Um, we, make, we can talk about that some. But where would your views um, personally sort of conflict a little bit with the larger libertarian party platform or are they just lots of divergences across the board or are you pretty much in line with what the national platform is uh there is nothing there is nothing that i advocate for or against that isn't basically 100 percent in line with the libertarian party platform um i will say this um there are certainly differences of opinion among libertarians um, and also differences in priority. So, for example, mm -hmm. uh, my big things are you can't start talking about any of the other changes that need to be made to government if at any point an enforcer of the government can just come and put a bullet in your head and nothing happens to that person. They aren't held accountable. Like if your Second Amendment doesn't matter, it doesn't they even can matter. just kill you. Your mm -hmm. First Amendment doesn't matter if if uh, an agent with a hair up their butt uh, of government can just literally come and and blast you or beat you up. 
you know, wrongfully arrest you, run up a bunch of phony charges and run you through the prison system and over criminalize you for something you didn't do and not be held accountable, not even be held accountable for it afterwards. Mm -hmm. So that is one of my main focuses. I would say my probably right up there with that is the economic end of it. You can't truly deal with the government uh, if it can just print out fake money and mm. force you to pay the the interest on it because it's like playing a game of monopoly where oh, we're playing with three people yeah. you and i are playing by the rules right but you know we're, we we do our turn we roll the dice whatever and then when it's it's this third guy's turn he goes to the banker and says give me a trillion monopoly notes and stick them with the bill for it who's going to win that game exactly right like it's not even <laughs> not only will he win that game we won't even be able to play it at a point because we our money's worth nothing like the, our our three thousand dollars we've been hoarding there's mm -hmm. nothing on the board that we'll be able to buy which means that guy owns us now so those right. are two of my main focuses but in terms of like my thoughts on guns on healthcare, on civil rights on on any of these things they're pretty much orthodox libertarian positions i personally there are many different schools of libertarianism mm -hmm. i come from what's called the anarcho-capitalist school i'm an okay. anarchist who believes in a fully free market society um and so i definitely am, am I guess one of the more edgy libertarians from that perspective. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but uh, which is another reason why I thought, I'm like, they're going to pick an ANCAP for their, their VP. But anyway, um, <laughs> I, uh, but uh, in terms of like, there's not really anything that I say where people are like, no, that's not what libertarians believe. There may be some libertarians that disagree with it or the priority of it, but no, that's this. I'm, I'm pretty much through and through. If I say something, it probably is pretty reflective of what the libertarian party platform is on that thing. Wow, that's that's pretty eye opening. It's funny. I just got done talking with um, an anarchist uh, before you, but on the completely different side of the spectrum. Yeah, yeah. But speaking of spectrums, and this is something that I think confuses a lot of people, um, and maybe categorization is just a big problem as it is. But because we do make a big deal about these um, teams and um, this herd mentality, it's like, and a lot of these people are well um meaning people they're good people but they sort of get misguided because they follow the corporate news narratives and right, and so they right, right. become a part of the team even though i identify with the left that can mean a lot of different things to different people it's hard for me to look at the options during these um local elections and the national election it's just like this 2020 past election yeah the libertarian party platform is more left than the supposed left party, the Democrats. And at least from my perspective, just from some of those important issues about um, the police state, when the Democrats are funding the police state, just like the Republicans are, or at yeah. least openly advocating for the funding of it, while these people are saying, no, we need to de-escalate this situation here, we need to end the wars. It's like you all are doing exactly things that some of my left comrades would be on board with what right, would you respond right. to as far as that's concerned so what i like to say is the libertarians are are better uh, here's how i word it to other right, right. libertarians <laughs> are better than the left on the things that the left tends to care about and we're okay. better than the right on the things the right cares about so for example you brought up police brutality the police state the war on drugs uh uh the the systemic racism behind disproportionate enforcement and and disproportionate sentencing and all of that i'd say the libertarian party is certainly better than the democrats even pretend to be on that i mean oh even no the, doubt <laughs> even the even the rhetoric 
from the Democrats isn't as good as ours. And mm -hmm. then they go and pick Joe Biden, the architect of the police state, and Kamala Harris, one of its most ardent enforcers, right, as a, as a prosecutor. Here you have Kamala Harris. And, you know, we talk about virtue signaling, and that term gets overused way too often. But they literally picked her and said, look, we picked a black woman. Yeah, now, let's ignore. <laughs> let's ignore that this black woman, first of all, used to not refer to herself as black. But let's of course, let's, let's, <laughs> let's she she's a Caribbean Indian, but now she's black. But anyway, <laughs> uh, uh, but also that and honestly, that's whatever your identity is. That, that, here's what matters. There are two black men, one of whom thankfully is out of death row, one of whom is still in death row because she illegally withheld exculpatory evidence in their trials. Mm -hmm. That's disqualifying to me like that. That's someone that should arguably be in jail herself. Forget mm -hmm. her running for dog catcher, much less. Absolutely. BP. And yet mm -hmm. we hear, well, but she's a black woman. OK, fantastic. This particular black woman put two black men in prison put in death row for crimes that she had evidence that they knew that she knew that at the very least they couldn't prove beyond a reasonable doubt that they did it. And in one case, it was flat out that they, they couldn't actually took a judge ordering her office to release everything they had. And they were finally able to get the, the guy out of death row, but that's, that's who we're talking about here. So that's obviously when it comes to the war on drugs, uh, the war on sex work, uh, immigration, I would say that we're better than the than the Democrats certainly even pretend to be now. Oh, I know you are. I know you are <laughs> on the on the things on the right. So, for example, like we are gun rights maximalists, absolutists. Like, and frankly, if you go far enough left, you get your guns back. So, that oh might yeah, be yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that might be. I somewhere. heard you all say that on the Reed Coverdell uh, podcast. Yeah. I was listening to yes. it. Someone, I think you said that. As well. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, if you go far <laughs> enough left, then you're back with like the Black Panthers and the Huey P. Newton Gun Club, and then you get your guns back. So, that, and I'm good with that. But you know, mm -hmm. uh, the right uh, pretends to support our right to keep and bear arms. Well, unless a cop shoots you for having a gun, or you know, you have a, a you know, uh, you use cannabis uh, for medicinal reasons, right. or have a misdemeanor from six years ago, uh, or you're not a citizen or, you know, any myriad of reasons they can come up with to justify taking away your right to keep and bear arms. Um, you know, we are maximalists on that. No, the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed means exactly that. It doesn't mm -hmm. mean there's no asterisk. And even if there was, I wouldn't care because my rights aren't defined by a sheet of paper written by people that died 200 years ago. <laughs> it's defined by the fact that we exist as human beings and have an errant inalienable rights. So that's the that's that's where we are better. And, you know, things like uh, taxes and things like that, we're better than the right on that. I think where it can sometimes get confusing on where it seems like we're really left on some things and really right on other things. I actually see it as us remaining consistently libertarian. Mm -hmm. And the times when it appears that we're left, it's actually when people on the mainstream uh, or even on just the general left are finding themselves being more libertarian about a certain subject. Mm -hmm. Whereas, uh, you know, where it looks like we're more right, that's a time when someone on the right perceived them, you know, found themselves being a little bit less authoritarian and a little bit more libertarian on that issue. I tend to believe even on those issues, we're better than them even on those things that we agree on. But, mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's a philosophical thing. I am willing to work with anyone, almost anyone, that agrees with me on even one thing because mm -hmm. if you think about that i mean you can think about some pretty egregious people out there but we can those people are going to exist regardless i can either oppose them in all ways because they don't agree with me enough 
or even if there's literally only one thing that I agree with them on, I just leveraged my opponent mm -hmm. to help pass something that, you know, that I support that that person also happens to support. So I'm a big believer in building coalitions. I'm a big believer in, in having as big of a tent as possible. I, you know, I, I do believe that, you know, we as individuals and as a party and, and, and all of us should remain as consistent to our beliefs. We don't water down what we believe, but we can be willing to suspend and say, listen, you and I, and I'm you know, there are, like you said, there are probably many things that we disagree on, whether it's healthcare, it may even be guns, uh, or it could be no, it's, it's, we'll, we'll get to that just briefly, but just to sort of, um, so, so the audience can kind of understand the different angles of, um, these philosophies, but, um, we agree with a lot more than disagree, but I actually identify yeah. with libertarian and left. I identify with both. Yeah. Well, there is a libertarian left. Mm -hmm. I mean, in fact, a little history lesson. The original libertarians were actually uh, leftists. Mm -hmm. uh, so Proudhon and uh, uh -huh. uh, even Bosch, even Bastiat, who really was more of a classical liberal than a leftist, he was considered on the left. In fact, the original left was the side of the French parliament that was against the king prior to the mm. revolution. So the original, even the classical liberals like like uh, like Bastiat and others, they were technically on the left side of that uh, of that of that aisle because they were they were anti. Um, they were against the crown. They were against mm -hmm. the, the the king of uh, of France. But uh, but yeah, no. I mean, the the roots of libertarianism are actually from the left. Uh, and it was later on that you know that there was this more propertarian concept of libertarianism from the the, the classical liberal um, mm -hmm. tradition, like John Locke and so forth. But the reality is, there is so much overlap. If that you is. are a libertarian. There is so much overlap. And even on the things, and we can get into these, even on the things that we may disagree on, there's a lot even within that that we agree on. Mm -hmm. um, and I I tend to, you know, I'm, I I come from a background of trying to build coalitions to get things done. Uh, it used to be in the business world. Now I'm doing it in politics. And, and the reality is, man, you're not going to find anyone that agrees with you 100%. You're lucky to find anyone that agrees with you 90%. So if you can find someone that agrees with you on a lot of things or even on a few things and you can work together, let's get that stuff done and we can argue about other stuff later. I am 100% on board with that. And you answered my question already. So you obviously believe in coalition building. I do too. Yes, 100%. And I get excited yeah. when people talk like that because it is bringing people together. And um, this whole code word of divisiveness it can be used easily to weaponize people and just discourage people who 100%. you know do want to you know join and i'm discovering that more and more if i can just take my emotions out just a little bit and maybe consider like okay maybe the initial blow may hurt my ego some but if we <laughs> want to really work together we have to actually talk dialogue strategize yeah. together we can't do it in separate rooms and so I'm all about coalition building. And I've seen a lot of that happening. I think the end of wars, were you a part of that? The end of war, the end of damn wars rally? In the damn wars, yeah. I, I spoke at one of their rallies. Uh, and that was a, a big coalition. It was. Of, uh, mostly various stripes of anarchists. It was. But there were, but there were, <laughs> there were, but there were other libertarians there and, and other just anti-war people. Uh, uh, the rally I went to in D.C., there were a few people there that were like kind of like, uh, Trumpy type, almost nationalist type, but they're against the wars. They yeah, want against the, the wars. Wars. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. They're against the wars, and they weren't they weren't like Nazi or alt right or whatever. But they had their their MAGA hats or whatever. Right. And they were like, you know, we need you know we need to worry about our own country. And it's like, yeah, you're actually right. We should not be bombing other countries. We mm -hmm. should be worrying about. And they one of the things they said was, you know, we got all these vets coming home all banged up, and there's no reason for it. Yeah, hundred mm -hmm. percent. 
I, there was yes. nothing I disagreed with on why they were against the war. So exactly. no, you got to build coalitions with people. And the thing is, there are people out there that agree with you and may not even realize it. How are mm -hmm. you going to find that out? How are they going to find that out if you aren't talking with them? Right. Like there are so many people that have joined the liberty movement in, in the time that I've been uh, active in it because we may have agreed on just one thing. And over time, you know, we're, we're around each other more, we're working together more, and they realize, you know what, actually, I agree with you on that, too. And I agree with you on that, too. There's a phrase I like to use, the more you can get someone into your orbit, the more you can affect them with your gravity. And oh. <laughs> my, my idea is, the more that you can bring people in to what you're about, the more they at least understand it, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to agree with all of it, but they at least have a perspective of where you're coming from. You are no longer this, this caricature or abstraction of someone who disagrees with them. You're a living, breathing human being who they know cares and, and who they know is a good person. And then they, they at least get where you're coming from and they may end up finding out they agree.